Turn to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1 in your Bibles. I don't know how you feel, um, but I personally hate the holidays, not the actual holiday, Christmas, Easter, and so forth, but the uh, time of year we call the holidays, just the um, lack of routine, the um, overeating, the not getting enough sleep because you're so busy trying to do everything, overspending, uh, people you're trying to do life with are out of town, and then you're out of town when they're in town, you can't really catch anybody because uh, everybody's schedule is so crazy. Uh, Kylo Ren, you know, does the unspeakable, makes the holidays even worse. I'm not going to ruin it for anybody in case you haven't seen Star Wars. And so the holidays are just kind of this crazy time of year. And then we uh, flip a switch and like everything goes back to normal tomorrow. We're back in school, we're back at work, or we're back into our normal weekly routines. And, and so I love New Year's because it's this fixing of what's been wrong for the past five or six weeks and, um, and getting back into these normal disciplines. And so what often happens... Um, to our spiritual disciplines during the holidays, our normal disciplines of study, scripture, reading scripture, praying, or whatever you normally do in your spiritual disciplines, they usually struggle through the holidays because the routines are off. And, uh, and then we, we get to New Year's, like, again, the, the switch flips. We, we're excited. We've got this new Bible reading plan, a new Bible app we've downloaded, and we've uh, and logged on. In fact, I got a text from uh, Jennifer. She's found her plan for the year. And uh, she's suggesting it to me if I don't have a plan yet. We're all excited about engaging with Scripture in a new way, maybe. Engaging in prayer. Maybe we'll actually make it through Leviticus this year. Maybe we'll actually have times of prayer where we don't fall asleep all the time. Um, and we're all fired up. And, and all that's good. Like, we shouldn't just push back against that. Because those things are, are good. Constantly uh, recommitting, re- resolving uh, to do life differently, to do life better. To, to say in our hearts, look, at the end of 2016... I want to be further along in my walk with Jesus than I am right now. I want to know him more. I want to know him deeper. I want to love him more, love him deeper, serve him more. And, and that's, that's all good stuff. Like we should do that daily, weekly, monthly, constantly assessing ourselves. Where, where am I? What tweaks do I need to make? Asking our brothers, our sisters, where do you see me? Am I walking with Jesus in a way that it's just oozing out of me and overflowing on other people around me? Am I demonstrating that the belief in the gospel, the love for Jesus in my lifestyle, asking our wives, even our kids, if they're old enough, how's dad doing? And then, and then tweaking. And so uh, that's, it's really good to do yearly. So daily, weekly, monthly is great. But then we, you know, we need to take time, have like a personal spiritual retreat where we can look at the entire year and say, where, where did I walk with Jesus this past year that was good? Where did I not walk with him that was good? And where do I want to get in the next year? So we, as a crossing church, every January, we're going to start off the year, uh, Lord willing, with, with two, two messages, one on the Word and one on prayer. So every January, the first two Sundays will always be on the Word and the prayer. It's not original with us. We totally ripped that off of John Piper's church when he was pastoring. Um, but it's good because these are essentials to our relationship with Jesus Christ. These are essentials to being a follower of Christ. Like, um, like you can't live healthily if you're not eating or breathing 
It's not going to go well for you if you just quit eating. You can go for a few days. But if you quit breathing, it's not going to go well very quickly. Same thing in our spiritual life. If you quit feasting on God's word, you quit breathing in and breathing out prayers to your Father in heaven. Things aren't, aren't going to go well. So the word, the prayer are two essential elements to the life of a believer. It's one of the, the surest indicators of your spiritual health and vitality. Is your time in God's word alive, vibrant? Are you engaging in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions with the word of God? Are you, is it, has it become dry? Is it academic? Are you feasting on the word? And are you engaging with your father in regular, ongoing communication that we call prayer? Are there structured times regularly, hopefully daily, but if not daily, regularly, where you're getting alone with the father and it's just you and him? And then is your heart just erupting in spontaneous prayer as you go through life? Prayers of praise, yes. Prayers of intercession for others. Prayers of supplication for others. Prayers of calling out to, to your father for help to deal with what you have to deal with. We want to be a church, a people, who are a people of the book and a church that's vibrant in prayer. To be that church, we have to be that as individuals. Okay? If you feel this legalistic guilt trip coming, just hang on. Don't, don't shut me out. This all flows out of the gospel. So it always flows out of the gospel. If the gospel has changed you, one of the clearest evidences is that it changes your devotion to the Word and it changes your vibrancy in prayers, right? We're going to walk through prayer this morning. Lord willing, Kendrick will walk through the Word next week. We actually had a discussion, you know, which one should we do first, the Word or prayer? It was going to be the Word first uh, before prayer. Uh, But you could do either one because if you go to the Word without prayer, then the time in the Word is simply going to be dry and academic. If you go um, into prayer without the Word saturating your prayers, then your prayer is going to be meaningless babble. So they, they both go together. You could do one or either first. It doesn't matter because you've got to have both. So what I want to do this morning is use the word to drive our motivation to pray simply by walking through various passages on prayer. And what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do in us is to do a work in us this morning so that we leave here with this renewed desire to have this life marked by vibrant prayer. Just letting the Spirit work through the Word. I'm not going to tell you these miraculous stories of how people prayed and think amazing things happened or, or try to guilt you into it or try to manipulate into it. Just let the Word work uh, with the Spirit empowering it and uh, do a work in our hearts. And so let's, let's pray and ask for His help. Um, Spirit, we come to you asking for your help this morning. Um, in a room gathered with brothers and sisters, I, I truly believe... In, in every heart that's in this room, we want to have a vibrant prayer life. We want to be a people who love to spend time with our Father, whose heart supernaturally turns to you constantly because of the gospel, because of the work you've done in us through Christ. We're, we're our default mode, Father. We long for our default mode to be running to our Father, clinging to our Father, being with our Father. So we we ask you, Holy Spirit, this morning to come and empower your word to do that work in us so that we we leave with this renewed conviction, this new commitment to see this happen in our life. And when sin comes to steal that away, we, 
We pray, Holy Spirit, you would remind us of what we've heard in these scriptures, and we would return to the scriptures, and, and, and you would call us back and, and call us to repentance and faith again and again and again. Father, we do pray for uh, our brothers and, and sister and sisters in Colorado. We pray for Kendrick and Pam and Amelia as they, as they grieve the loss of Pam's dad, as they minister to that family, just use them well. Comfort their hearts of that family. And we thank you that you've made all these things possible in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at just one verse here. We're going to do a lot of flipping this morning or typing if you're on your phone. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, real easy verse. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And so Jesus was in the middle of very busy ministry, had done a ton of ministry. The next morning he wakes up, while it's early, he goes out by himself to pray to his father. Uh, if you look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and on the screen if uh, you don't want to flip. Luke 11, verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And so in some instances, Jesus went off by himself to pray. In other instances, his prayer life was visible, for at least for his disciples to see that he's praying in such a way that they, they said, teach us to pray. Which is shocking because these disciples grew up as, as Jewish young men who would be taught to pray regularly three times a day. These very uh, devout prayers. But they saw something in the prayer life of Jesus that was different. They weren't experiencing. So Jesus, you're our rabbi. You're our teacher. You teach us what you're doing because you're experiencing something we've never seen before. It's more than these devout, regular, repetitious, three times a day prayers. And so Jesus began to teach them how to pray, and it was what we call the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but the, the, the common fact that we see throughout the Gospels is this, Jesus prayed, and if there's anyone who didn't need to pray, it was Jesus, right? If there's anyone who could have said, look, it's all going to work out anyway. God's going to work it out the way he wants to work it out. I don't really need to pray. God's in, sovereign over all this. It's kind of rigged. And so I don't really have a purpose behind my prayers. If anyone could have said that, it was Jesus. Now we know that this was part of the second person of the Trinity, submitting himself to the first person of the Trinity by continually withdrawing and praying. But, but Jesus was still God. If, if anyone could have said, well, why even pray? It would have been him. Yet continually throughout the Gospels, this was his regular routine pattern of life. And he prays these opening lines of this Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. Just saying our father was revolutionary for a Jewish man to pray in such an intimate way to the God who created the heavens and the earth. Like they didn't pray like that. So the opening words of what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is not really the prayer he would pray because he's asking for forgiveness of sins, but it's the prayer that, prayer that we pray. Our father, the opening words are a radical confession of relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who is in heaven, we can call father. And it, it shook them. It was, it's why they remembered. It's why they recorded. The Holy Spirit inspired them to record it because this was a, a relationship with, with God the Father that was, was new and different. So if you're given into any kind of excuse, what's the point of prayer? Everything's going to happen the way God wants it to happen anyway. Well, congratulations. If that's why you don't have to pray, you've, you've matured to a point of maturity beyond Jesus. So yeah, you don't, you don't have to pray, Right? But none of us are there. And so um, 
Prayer is not just us getting our wish list fulfilled. Prayer is about this intimate relationship with God so that even when our prayers aren't answered the way we think they should be answered, there's still trust and there's faith because you know your Father is in heaven. If our prayer were essential for the Son and the Father, then I would think that prayer is essential for us. So don't don't run from prayer or excuse away prayers as unnecessary. We all have these excuses why we don't pray, or at least our prayer lives aren't vibrant and alive. Some of the excuses might be because we're not genuinely born again. I mean, that's true in the Bible Belt. There are religious people who aren't genuinely born again, so there's no desire to pray because the Holy Spirit doesn't live in them. But for us who are born again, for us who are believers, sometimes we don't pray because we don't really think it makes a difference. Nothing changes. I've been praying for this person. I've been praying for this situation for, for how long? Nothing's different. Or we don't pray because uh, we don't think we're good at it. Or we don't pray because we've never seen good prayer modeled. Or, or in our culture, we're definitely too busy, too distracted, and too entertained to do something as boring and meaningless and pointless, seemingly, as prayer. So whatever your excuses are, why your prayer life is not vibrant, if nothing else, see that Jesus, God in the flesh, the Son of the Trinity... Jesus prayed regularly, vibrantly, passionately, and if anyone didn't need to, it was him. If anyone was busy, it was him. And the gospel is this, the life of Jesus coming to live inside of you, so if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then you you know this morning you long to have, you have this inner ache to have this vibrant prayer life, like it's something you really want to experience. Nothing gets a guilt trip going faster than talk to a bunch of believers about their prayer life. There's nowhere you can go in the world and you'll find believers who think they pray enough or it's vibrant enough. We all feel this weight of, gosh, it's not really as much as I want it to be. And if that inner longing ache isn't there, then there could be other issues regarding your salvation. So examine yourselves, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Secondly, not only do we see that Jesus prayed, but secondly, in Hebrews 4, we see that we pray with a humble confidence. You turn to Hebrews 4. You see that we pray with a humble confidence, beginning in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We enter the throne of grace with confidence because we belong. Why do we belong? It's not because of our merit, not because we've earned it or we've made it happen. We belong because of Jesus. All we deserve is punishment. All we deserve is condemnation. All we deserve is hell. That's all we deserve as sinful people. But Jesus, the great high priest, went and paid the price for our sins. He was punished for us so that in Christ we belong. We belong in the throne room of the God who created the heavens and the earth. So we have this confidence because our standing is in Christ and it is secure. Nothing can change our standing before our Father because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We are sons and daughters of the King. He will never cast us out of His kingdom. We have this 
great confidence to ask for whatever we need. But we also know that we're sinful and we don't belong. And the only way we can come is because of Christ. And so we're humble. Which is good. This humble confidence. You never want to get one of those out of whack. Like if you have confidence without humility, then you begin to cheapen grace. You take your salvation for granted. You become prideful, arrogant, and self-righteous because you think that you've always been saved. Of course you're saved. Confidence without humility leads to to this this life that's marked by pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. But if if you have humility without confidence... It's equally as dangerous because you're just this woe is me. I'm just a worm. I can't do anything that requires faith and boldness. God can't use me. God can't save these people in my family who are lost. So if we don't pray bold prayers. We don't take bold steps of faith. We sink into this mediocre Christian existence. I can't overcome my sins. So we're very humble. We're very lowly. But we don't see that we belong in the presence of the God who created the heavens and earth. We can ask anything of this Father in heaven. You have to have humility. You have to have confidence. Christians, recognize with humility that you only belong because of Jesus. But because of Jesus, you belong. And nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever take that away. You are in. Live Christian. Pray bold prayers. Bold prayers full of faith for your lost friends, for your lost family members. For your, for your MC, for your DNA groups, for wherever you're on mission in our city, for our city. Let's pray bold prayers for God to move and act and do great things that only God can do. Believing that God hears, believing that God cares, and believing that God has the power to act. Thirdly, Luke chapter 11, if you flip back. Back to Luke 11. We see that we pray as a child to a father. We pray as a child to a father. Luke 11, verse 9. Jesus says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And there's a, a parallel passage of this in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus also says, if your son asks you for bread, you won't give him a stone. And which of you uh, would, would do that? No, how much more will your Heavenly Father give what is good to those who ask Him? When kids ask their, their dad for something, how do they ask? And how did you ask when you were younger? This is persistence, right? Like they don't feel like they've got to tiptoe up to dad to, and say things just the right way. They boldly come before their father. They ask persistently, especially if they really, really want it. They're constantly asking their dad. They ask without guile, without shame, without embarrassment, without pretense. They have total trust and confidence in their parents' love for them. They have total trust and confidence in their parents' ability to give whatever they ask. Like a a kid brings a toy to a a father, and no matter how badly it's broken, they think dad can fix it. And either dad can fix it, or dad throws it away when the kid's asleep, right? Because they they just think they have that kind of confidence in their father. Uh, There's no intricacies of conversation or rules of conversation. Kids don't worry about that. They just jump in and start talking. 
just spewing out whatever they desire. And they're not trying to coax, they're not trying to say things just the right way or manipulate their father. Now, when they get a little bit older, they will slither up to you and start batting their eyes and try to kind of lay a foundation to get what they want. But we're talking about young kids here. This total trust, this total confidence, this total faith in their dad to do whatever they ask him to do. This is the mentality we bring when we come to our father in prayer. It's a conversation with dad. That's all it is. Just talking to dad. No special words are needed. No preparation is needed. Become as messy as we really are. Like we don't have to pretend with him. He knows. He knows what you've just been doing. What your life has looked like throughout the holidays. You come only because of Jesus anyway. You're not coming on your own merit. It's a conversation that should be ongoing, spontaneous throughout the day, but it's a conversation where we regularly need to just stop everything and just be with Him, have these structured times alone in prayer. Well, if you knew how busy I was, like, can we just get rid of those too busy excuses? It's kind of become this badge in our culture, like you're talking to people, everybody says they're busy, everybody. Nobody ever says, you know, hey, how's it going, man? I've been really busy. Hey, how are you? Gosh, I've just been binging on Netflix. I haven't been really doing anything. Like, nobody says that. If that's what they've been doing, then they don't say anything. Eh, you know, whatever. Been doing that. The reality is, everyone is busy, and you have time for what you want to do, and what you actually do is usually what you want. Your lack of time with your father isn't because you're overscheduled. It's because you really don't want it more than you want lesser things. Like if I had $1,000 for every minute you spent in vibrant time of prayer with your father... All of a sudden, our schedule opens up, right? Because it's become valuable to us. So what's your price? What price are you paying to not be with your father? Or my earthly dad, he, you know, he wasn't a good dad and, and, or is not a good dad. And so it's hard for me to see God as father. And, and that's hard. I, I totally understand that. I would encourage you to let your heavenly father redeem the image of fatherhood in your heart and mind. Your father in heaven is not your earthly dad. Even if you had a good father. And maybe you idolize your father. Your earthly father is not your heavenly father. Your heavenly father is never harsh. He's never absent. He's never going to abandon you or forsake you. He's never too busy. He's always longing to be with you, to have you know him. He'll never give you a snake if you ask for a fish. He'll never give you a stone if you ask for bread. He is, in fact, will give you himself, the Holy Spirit. Just as we need quality time with our earthly dads, even more we need quality time with our our Heavenly Father. It, It doesn't take discipline as much as it takes desperation. See, the biggest hurdle for us in having time alone with our Father is not in scheduling it, but it's in seeing that we need it and believing that we need it enough to do it. It's pride and self-confidence that keeps us prayerless. We just don't think we need it. You hit that day when your kid has to be in the hospital or your parent's facing death or someone you love is in an emergency and you're helpless, all of a sudden you're praying because you're desperate. We're, We're that helpless all the time. We're just so arrogant we don't see it. We're so blind we don't see it. We're, we're that help. I mean, the only reason we woke up this morning and we're not dead is because of the grace of God. Every breath, every heartbeat, every brain cell that still works, every ability to see, think, 
hear, taste, live is because of God's grace. We are that helpless. Our life hangs by that kind of thread. We're that desperate. Believe that. See that. And let it drive you to your father to be with your father. Paul Miller in his book, um, A Praying Life, said that time alone with the father is our heart hunting its true home. Spending time alone with your father in prayer is your heart hunting its true home. So, so take practical tips. and In the sermon outline, there's practical tips I'll put on there. And they're good. They're, you can read any of those books and they'll give you these. Go to bed early wake, so you can wake up early, stay up late while the house is quiet. <clears throat> Journal while you pray. Pray through distractions. Pray out loud so you can focus. Learn what posture of prayer helps you to focus best. Like I pray best walking around. It helps me just to focus to be able to walk. Uh, there are hundreds of tips, practical ideas about creating space so you can have these vibrant times of prayer. Uh, get, get one of those books if you don't have them already that I listed. But don't see it as, okay, I'm supposed to have time alone with God. Check. See it as this privilege, this, this space, this opportunity you have to get away from the buzz of life. Y'all know the buzz, right? This constant buzz that is our life. Stuff's always going on. You can't get away from it. You can get away from all of that. Put the phone away. Put the computer away. Just you and the Father and the Word and your heart runs to its true home. You recenter yourself on Him. That's what a child loves to do with his dad. Also in Luke 8, you see that we pray with persistence. We pray with persistence. In verse 5, and Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, have nothing to set before him, and he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And if you flip over a few pages to Luke 18, you see a very similar teaching of persistent prayer. Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is the purpose of Jesus telling this parable. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. It's not to say God is like the judge. It's to say God is not like the judge. This ungodly judge will finally give in to this persistent, bothering, pestering, nagging widow. How much more will your Father in heaven Give what is good to those who come after him, his children. God is not like the friend who won't rise in the night because his friend needs help. God is, is the one who will come longingly, willingly, lovingly to give whatever we need that is good for us that we need to, to accomplish our calling and what we're created for. In other words, this is God giving us the okay to wear him out with our request. Bother me, God says. This is where our desperation leads to this prayerful bothering of God. And God says, bring it. I want you to do that. I'm better than the friend who eventually lets you in. I'm better than the judge 
who eventually answers the widow, I'm your dad. Like we as dads, we don't say that to our kids. Yes, please continue to pester me about that thing you want. Please keep asking me. We don't say that. You've asked me once, I told you no. Don't ask again to the end of time. But God is the good father who says, come, keep coming. Now, look, if our life is content as long as we have food, clothing, a steady paycheck, a warm place to live, an up-to-date Netflix subscription, a device that works, and reliable Wi-Fi, right? If that is the good life, if that's become heaven on earth, then we're not really going to be desperate for anything to bother God about, right? Unless the Wi-Fi goes out. Then we're desperate. But what happens is this, as you spend time with the Father in prayer, as you begin to saturate your mind and heart with His Word, what happens is you begin to love and care and be passionate about the things that He's passionate about. So that you're no longer content just because you have food, clothing, a roof over your head, Netflix, a device, and Wi-Fi. That's not enough for you. You have all of that, but it doesn't satisfy. Because there are people in your life, there are people all around your life, people in our city who are lost, dying, broken, in pain, hurting throughout the world who are suffering. That's what he cares about. And we become desperate for those things, passionate about those things, and those things begin to drive our prayers. Those begin to be the things that we pester him about and bother him about. And the more you begin to run to your father, bothering him for prayer, the more you experience his intimacy with him. Does it mean that if I wear God out, I'm going to get what I asked for? I mean, are the TV preachers right? No. God is not the great vending machine in the sky where we can manipulate and coerce and get what we want. We, we don't know specifically how God's going to answer the prayers that we pester Him with. But we can be very specific. We want it, he wants us to be very specific. We can totally trust our Father. He's always going to answer in a way that's for our good and His glory. So we ask and we keep asking until He says yes or until he says no. And when he says no, what we know with full confidence is this. No means he's got something better than what we've been asking. Right? Like we think this is what we want. And God clearly says no. He shuts doors. He doesn't open doors. So Jennifer and I remind ourselves all the time. Well, if God's saying no to that, that means there's something even better than that. And we thought that was it. Because that's how good our Father is. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given us his son. Every bit of his suffering was given so that we would know him as father. Why would he then withhold anything good from us? He won't. He won't withhold anything good from us. He won't withhold whatever we need that is good for us to know Him, to follow Him, to do what He's called and created us to do. The only check is this. It's good as God defines it. That's the check. Because you, know, you know with your kids, if you have kids, or one day if you have kids, Lord willing, your kids are always chasing stuff that they think they have to have. I need this. This is essential for my life. Central for my well-being. This is essential for my good. And a good parent can see and assess and say, no, it's not. You can't have it. If we gave our kids everything they want, their teeth would be rotten and falling out from everything they eat, and they'd be couch potatoes from everything they want to watch. So a good father can look at what their kid is really good for the kid and assess if they really need it or not, just as our Heavenly Father sees what we chase, what we think we have to have, and says, no. And it's not for our good.
and says yes when it is for our good. And when, when he says no, our trust in him grows because ultimately what we need is him and his ultimate gift for us is him, himself. So for those of you here who have been praying and asking and seeking and knocking and persisting and you're desperate for serious situations to change, for the hearts of those you love to be transformed, for the physical pain to stop, for emotional pain to stop, for fears and regrets and shame and guilt to go away, your Father in heaven invites you to press on. Press on. Don't give up. Keep coming to Him. Trust Him. Receive Him. Receive His Spirit. Be comforted by Him. Not by you getting your prayers answered. Be comforted by Him. He is enough. Even as you wait for circumstances to change. Fifthly, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Well-known passage. Beginning in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see, fifthly, that we can pray and not have to worry. We can pray and not have to be anxious. We all know that being worried and filled with anxiety actually accomplishes nothing. It's a whole bunch of work that does nothing, right? It's just a waste of time. Prayer, on the other hand, can be used by God to accomplish His purpose and desires. So instead of being filled with worry and anxiety and fretting and, and, and imagining all the possible what-ifs that most of the time never happen, instead of wasting time doing nothing, instead we go through prayer to our Father and actually accomplish what God intends to accomplish in us. Even as we pray and wait for God to respond and we don't get an answer yet, we still get, verse 7, His peace that passes all understanding. So something's happening in us even as we pray and wait. Tim Keller has a great illustration about what this life free from worry and anxiety looks like. Worry and anxiety is like uh, being out of touch with the boss. If you have a job, you work in a certain department, you have a boss over you, and this boss is wise and good and always does a good job, but this boss in your department also is your best friend, your closest confidant, the person you are closest with on earth. And so not only do you not worry and fret over the job that you do because you're not going to get fired for every little mistake you make because the boss is your best friend, but when things start going crazy, you don't freak out because you know the boss. Well, let me go talk to the boss. I'll just tell him what's going on. He knows what's going on. And he's going to assure me that it's going to be all right. doesn't mean he'll tell me exactly why it's happening or what's happening, but he's going to assure me, look, it's going to be all right. I got this because I'm a good boss. I'm wise. I'm perfect. I'm in control of everything. Prayer helps us to live out that reality. It's staying in touch with the boss regularly. So instead of a life being filled with worry and anxiety, it's filled with peace. This indescribable peace, it says, that, that literally marches around our hearts and guards our, our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The language there Paul uses is, is that of a Roman guard marching around its post. And that is the peace that passes all understanding. That is Christ Jesus marching around our hearts and minds, guarding us so that we have his contentment, his peace, instead of worry and anxiety. Because he's got this. Your best friend is the king of the universe. 
the boss over all creation. Like, what is he ever going to face that he worries about? And you're in tight with him. You're his son. You're his daughter. We can actually have that kind of peace through prayer, abiding with the Father, having Christ in us. We can actually live a life free from anxiety and worry. We can live this life of peace, not this aloofness or detachment because we've just kind of distanced ourselves from the problems. No, we're going through the same junk everybody else is going through. We're fully engaged, but there's this peace. It's going to be all right. It's going to work out. No matter what you're facing, he's got this. Because you are tight with the Father. You're tight with the boss. Like, how transforming would that be in our city for us to be that kind of people that live with that kind of peace? That no matter what we face, how hard it might be, whatever we face, we're all right. Our Father's not worried. So we're not worried. And we have this peace. Lastly, if you turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, we pray together. We pray together. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We know these are the the followers of Jesus, there's about 120 of them after Jesus ascended into heaven. And they're about to appoint the next uh, disciple or apostle after Judas was gone. And what are they doing? Jesus has ascended. He said, go wait in Jerusalem for the power to come, the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting and praying. They're waiting and praying. Uh, chapter 2, verse 42, well-known passage. How, how do you describe the early church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The four things they were devoted to, prayers... Prayer is one of them. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John were arrested, uh, beaten up, told they should no longer preach the name of Jesus. The rest of the church was waiting and praying. When Peter and John were finally released, verse 23, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, this is a prayer of the early church, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They're not praying for the persecution to stop. They're praying for them to continue to speak with boldness in the midst of persecution. And you can go through the rest of the book of Acts and find instance after instance of the church gathering to pray. If we left this place today and it was just every man for himself, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence that our prayer lives would be more vibrant in 2016 than they are right now. This is where I hope and pray that the way we're structured as a church begins to show 
uh, its value, but that we do this together. We're all weak, we're all helpless, we're all uh, much weaker than we even realize, but together we can become everything that Jesus has called and created us to become. So like to not be in a DNA group is to essentially say, I got this, I don't need anyone, I'm good. I'm good on my own. And more likely than not, you're not. You're not growing as much as you would grow if you were doing life closely with your brothers and sisters. We were created for community. We were created to grow best together. And when we isolate ourselves, we don't let others in. We don't pursue each other. We don't make ourselves vulnerable. We don't give ourselves an opportunity to trust. And yes, be hurt. Because that's a part of being vulnerable and trusting people. We are going to be hurt. We are going to sin against each other. But when we close ourselves from all that because we don't want to be hurt, we miss out on the environment God intends for us to be in to grow best. Just like an animal and plant needs certain conditions to grow best and be healthy, so we as Christians need certain conditions to grow and be healthy. And one of those conditions is each other. To do this together. Even with the pain and the hurt that we sometimes inflict on each other. Together is where we learn to love unconditionally. Together is where we learn to love where we learn to trust. Together is where we learn to forgive. Together is where we learn to lean on each other. So if you're doing life with each other in DNA, or if you haven't been engaging in DNA, if you're not even in a DNA group, please let me or Scott know before you leave, and we'll make that happen this week. But in your group, this conversation needs to happen this week. What are my plans and desires to live a praying life in 2016? If your people in your DNA group are still out of town, then have this conversation by text. One of you just start like a group message, and then all of you actually respond. I know that's hard. You actually respond to this group message and have this conversation by text until everybody can be back together face to face. And you keep checking in on each other regularly throughout the year. How, how are these plans going? What are your plans to live a praying life in 2016? Um, is your praying life is your prayer life vibrant and healthy and good? Like That should constantly be a question we ask each other. Are you having structured time alone with your Father? Is your heart continually erupting in spontaneous prayer? Has that just kind of been your default mode lately? Are you desperate for big things and persisting in praying for big things of eternal value? Or is it all about your comfort? All about what you need? Are you journaling and writing down prayers? Who knows what our sovereign God may do in us and through us if we would be that kind of church? Maybe the places in which the church gathers will once again shake. Maybe the Holy Spirit will come and fill his people with this boldness that shakes a city. Why not us? Why not ask desperately, persistently? My prayer for, for myself yesterday or, or Friday when I was going through this and, and praying for us, um, my prayer for us as a family of servant missionaries is this. Let us experience prayer with our Father this year in a way that causes us to never again question the necessity of prayer. Like we just, at the end of this year, we look back and like, man, this year it clicked. All glory to God. It's by His grace. The Holy Spirit did a work in me that I never have this thought pop in my head. Well, why pray? It doesn't even do anything. It's not accomplishing anything. I can, I can go without it today or this week or this month. I can just let it be routine. Like that never happens again because we see 
how essential. We see it in the way that we, we pray boldly and desperately and passionately. But then God willing, we see it in the way God answers our prayers. That we see things happen this year that can only happen by the hand of God. We see lives change this year. People that we're doing life with change this year. Come alive in Christ. Say no to sin. Pursue Jesus in a way that only God gets the glory and the credit. Let's experience prayer in such a way this year that we look back and remember 2016 as as a year of, of passionate prayer, desperately pursuing God. In 2011, um, I was on a short-term mission trip um, in Asia with a guy who's a deacon in my last church, a pastor, Daryl, and doing work with Anne, who's, by the way, going to be here Wednesday night. Uh, I mentioned that several weeks ago. Um, she's an IMB missionary, International Mission Board missionary in Asia. Uh, she'll be here Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, there were several churches that she was thinking about speaking in, and Daryl and I asked her to come to the crossing. And some other people from other churches will be here, but... It'll mainly be us uh, to hear about her work in this Asian country. Uh, she's going to have with her um, a, a missionary from that country. Uh, they're here for like one day. And she wants to share with, with us and others this work they're doing and maybe how we can be a part of it. Um, but in 2011, Daryl and I were over in this country with her. And we were in a region that, in, in, in my short life, is the most spiritually oppressed region of the world I've ever been in. Just dark. You just felt it. And we were in this region, and had a little bit of an issue with local authorities, and uh, we stayed there too long, we were there too late in the mountains, we couldn't get back to the city that we were in, so we just found this hotel in the mountains. Shouldn't have stayed there, um, but we you know, had to stay somewhere, right? And so they, um, they give us rooms, and we're all in our own three separate rooms, and there are exterior entrances, and there's this, this big courtyard with this beast in the middle of it, this statue of this beast in the middle of it. And they don't give us a key to the room, right? So that, there's no key to the room? No, just lock it on the inside. Okay. So I'll go in my room, I lock it, and put all the furniture in the room up against the door. And I uh, just don't know what, what might go down, right? And I, I lay down to sleep, and, and I'm already on edge. I'm kind of in in just kind of frantic a little bit because of the issue with the local authorities that day. And I'm just ready to get out of this region because it's so dark and oppressed and get back to uh, the city. And uh, then all of a sudden, somebody starts knocking on my door like every 30 minutes and saying something to me in this language they didn't understand. I'm like, why are you knocking on my door all night long? But he can't understand me, right? Wrong room. I keep saying, wrong room, wrong room. So now I'm frazzled. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't know what this dude wants. I have one of the two cell phones. I'm texting the missionary. I'm telling her, look, I'm, I'm kind of about to go out in the courtyard to find out what this guy wants. I don't know what's going to happen, so you need to come translate because something may go down. Just completely on edge, can't sleep, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, oh, and there's a thunderstorm in the mountains, of which we've seen mudslides all around the mountains, and I'm thinking, we might be just washed right down the mountain in this little hotel. And I'm like, Father, and just calling out to God, Father, you've you got to help me. Like, you've got to make this dude stop, I've got to get some sleep, I'm just exhausted, what's happening, what's going on? It's, it, and, and I fell asleep. As I was praying, I fell asleep. Wake up the next morning, I tell everybody what happened. They're trying to figure out why this happened and all this kind of stuff. And Anyway, um, so I come home and I'm telling Jennifer this story. I'm like, man, this is like the worst experience of the whole trip. Just not being able to sleep and don't know what this guy wants and so forth and so on. So we, we began to, well, you know, what, what, what night was that? And so 13-hour difference. It was at nighttime for us. It was daytime for her. 
And she begins to tell me that on that day, at the same exact time, she's doing laundry and she's overcome with this desire to pray for me. And she begins to sing this prayer for me as she's doing laundry, right? And I'm just like, what? At the same moment, I got to experience the presence of God, the presence of my Father to give me enough peace to go to sleep. My wife is praying for me. That's what we experience when we pray together. Those kinds of stories, those kinds of things that that exist, yes, between a husband and a wife because we're very close and, and have a close relationship, but we can experience as brothers and sisters as we're engaging big things for the glory of God in our city and praying together for God to do things that only he can do. Let's be a family of faith that can share stories like that all the time because our prayer lives are vibrant, because we see God do things in us and through us that only he can do. So what do you plan to get done in 2016? If nothing else, why not this? A vibrant, passionate, desperate prayer life marked by boldness, humility, persistence, doing it together as a child going to their father. Like, There's a lot of stuff I'm going to do in 2016. It doesn't need to get done. I don't really have to follow the Golden State Warriors Every day, I watch all the games that come on TV, even though they might be one of the 20 greatest basketball teams of all time. I don't have to do that. I don't have to watch the next series that drops on Netflix. There's a lot of things in 2016 that you're going to do. But I can rearrange my life so that for sure, for sure, when I look back on this year, this gets done. This vibrant, passionate, desperate prayer life that I experience individually and with my family. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived the perfect sacrificial life. He lived the perfect righteous life. He died the perfect sacrificial death in our place. He ascended to the Father in heaven so that even he's interceding for us right now so that we could be adopted into his family to call the God who created the heavens and the earth Father to have this close intimate relationship with him. And so let's go to him. Let's talk to him. Let's communicate with him regularly. Father, we are so thankful for your grace, your mercy that makes this relationship with you possible through your son Jesus. We're thankful for just the privilege we have of communicating with you. Like we're saying words in this building in Monday. And the God who called all things into existence hears. And not only hears, but he cares. Like it matters to you what we say. And not only do you care, but you have power and ability to act and work and do things in us and through us that only you can do. We thank you for that. As we remember the life and death of Jesus through this meal, help us to leave this place with a renewed passion and commitment to engage with you in prayer in 2016 as never before. Let it not just be a momentary thought or a momentary good feeling, but let it be truly the desire of our heart. And that we we do this together so there's accountability and encouragement. Father, we give you glory for what you're going to do in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.